goes after Sean Siegel? I mean, really? Who throws a shoe? I mean, really? Michael Fabiano from NFL.com threw a shoe at Sean Siegel at the Zero RB Symposium. There is no Zero RB Symposium. There should be a Zero RB Symposium so people like Michael Fabiano can understand the fundamentals of Zero RB and one day finally figure out a way to take their heads out of their own asses. But Sean Siegel won Twitter last weekend. He absolutely did because when someone with over 100,000 followers, 100,000 undeserved followers, nonetheless, if someone with over 100,000 followers mentions my name in a tweet in a fantasy football context, then I've won. It doesn't matter what more you say, I have won. But not only did Michael Fabiano criticize Sean Siegel, he did it in a way that admitted that Sean Siegel is a high-stakes fantasy champion and the inventor of Zero RB, or at least the person who popularized the idea. It's fairly amazing. And the most amazing part is, if you're Sean Siegel, you receive the accolades, you get to beef up while Michael Fabiano beefs down, and then you become the anti-Michael Fabiano, which is what we're all striving for. We all want to be the opposite of whatever Michael Fabiano is in the fantasy football industry. Just a guy reaching for takes that are supported by nothing. No data, no metrics, no evidence, nothing. Just a feeling. Let me go on television and talk about a feeling I'm having. And the feeling I'm having right now is zero RB doesn't make any sense. For decades, fantasy footballers have won fantasy leagues by drafting running backs early, and that's never going to change. We need to make fantasy great again by drafting three running backs in the first three rounds. I'm Michael Fabiano, and we're going to set this fantasy community Back on course. I'm going to build a wall between the running backs and the wide receivers. And no one is allowed to draft a wide receiver until round four. I am Michael Fabiano. Vote for me. Fantasy football asshole of the year. And here's how you know Michael Fabiano's an asshole. Because Michael Fabiano has never read any of Sean Siegel's work. And I know this because the members of the Buzzard community that follow this show religiously... Thank you for that. Our ratings on iTunes, our best case scenario, 69 five stars, eight one stars, zero four stars, zero three stars, zero two stars. What does that mean? Most people get the show. A few people don't get the show and there's no one in between. And that's exactly how I want it because the people that get the show go to iTunes and they rate it and they rave about it. And if you haven't done it already, please go ahead and do so. And not only that, they email the show. You can email us, rotounderworld at gmail.com or on Twitter at rotounderworld. And they tell me bits and pieces of information that allow me to stitch together the truth. So we had a buzzard right in this weekend telling me they met Michael Fabiano at a barbecue recently after his criticism of Sean Siegel. And Fabiano admitted that he'd never actually read Sean Siegel's work, that all of his criticism was simply secondhand information passed to him by others. And when this member of the Roto Underworld radio audience pressed Michael Fabiano, Asking for the reasoning behind his criticism of Zero RB, it became clear very quickly that Michael Fabiano does not understand that Zero RB is a full fantasy football draft strategy, that it is not a simple zig while the other zag early on tactic. 
Beyond that, Michael Fabiano doesn't understand the underpinnings of zero RB, specifically anti-fragility. One of the top five most followed fantasy football industry professionals understands None of the precepts and tenets of zero RB that J.J. Zacharyson and I methodically outlined on the last Roto Underworld radio show. And yet, that person has the audacity to claim that zero RB is not a sound fantasy football draft strategy. And beyond that, that Sean Siegel is a hypocrite. That he drafted a running back early in a draft in 2013. <gasps> what? Oh, no. As if that nullifies all of Sean Siegel's great work on Rotoviz. It doesn't. I don't care if you have 100,000 followers. I don't care if you have a million followers. Nothing you scream into the Twitter sphere will stop the zero RB train from gathering momentum and eventually running over irrelevant fantasy football anachronisms like Michael Fabiano. And if you agree with me, I want you to go to playerprofiler.com forward slash podcasts. That's where you can subscribe to the show. Probably already are. But you'll also notice on the right, it says become an official show minion or buzzard. We now have a show support program. Go there, click learn more, and you can sign up for a Roto Underworld hoodie or a Roto Underworld t-shirt. And you can pick your team. You can be on Team Minions or you can be on Team Buzzards. And that will be emblazoned on the apparel as well. So go there at forward slash podcasts. Support the show. Get geared up. Because we're going to battle. I don't care who you work for. I don't care how many followers you have. I am here to speak the truth. I'm here to tell you Michael Fabiano doesn't know what the fuck he's talking about when he criticizes Zero RB and its most prominent proponents like Sean Siegel. But it is September 2nd, and I am contractually required, even though you all don't pay anything for this podcast. It's free, but hopefully you'll go support the show and get some swag in the process. But I'm obligated to talk to you about players. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to pick a handful of players at each position that are interesting or in the news, and I'll talk to you about them. We've been updating our rankings constantly, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. Go there to follow along with the show. So as we talk about players, you can see where they're ranked. And the player that's risen the most in both the seasonal and dynasty rankings, in the absence of any relevant player news, is Tyrod Taylor. LaShawn McCoy is LaShawn McCoy. Charles Clay is Charles Clay. Robert Woods is going to be Robert Woods. Sammy Watkins, fingers crossed, looks like he will start the season healthy. But Tyrod Taylor's stock is rising. And for me, it's rising quickly. He's now a top 10 fantasy quarterback in seasonal and dynasty leagues. He's now my number seven dynasty league quarterback. And here's why. We've talked on this show for many episodes about how it's possible that Russell Wilson could unlock his fantasy potential if the Seattle defense collapses or the coaching staff decides to change its philosophy and to pivot to a pass-heavy instead of a run-heavy scheme. I believe it's unlikely either of those two things happen in Seattle, but I believe it is likely that one of those things has already happened in Buffalo. When you look at Tyrod Taylor, his efficiency in his first year as the starting quarterback for the Bills was strikingly similar to Russell Wilson's in his first year in Seattle. 
But unlike Seattle, Buffalo's defense is in the midst of a collapse as we speak. There have been very few noteworthy news blurbs about the Buffalo offense this offseason, but there has been a number of news blurbs about the defense, and they've all been bad. The Buffalo defense has already crumbled. What does that mean? That means Buffalo is going to need to score more points than they did last year. That means they must finally unshackle Tyrod Taylor from the run-heavy scheme chains that prevented him from fully ascending last year. The team only threw the ball 507 times. That was 30th in the league. Tyrod Taylor himself couldn't even eclipse 400 pass attempts. And yet, still posted 19.7 fantasy points per game. That was 7th in the league. How is that possible? Because of his incredible efficiency. Plus 22.8 production premium on playerprofiler.com. That's our situation agnostic efficiency metric. Finished number two in the league behind, you guessed it, Russell Wilson. Across the board, passer rating, total QBR, yards per attempt, air yards per attempt, fantasy points per drop back. Tyrod Taylor, top 10 in the NFL. But now they are injecting volume into his veins. Take an efficient quarterback who was second in the league in carries last year, even while only playing in 14 games. You give him pass volume, and that's how a top 10 fantasy quarterback is made. We had the Roto Underworld Minions Redraft League a couple nights ago, and it's a 2QB league, so I was bidding on bench quarterbacks. I got Jameis Winston for $12, thought that was a deal, couldn't afford to roster any more quarterbacks at that point, and then I saw Tyrod Taylor go for $11, and I was crushed because I have Tyrod Taylor ranked ahead of Jameis Winston in fantasy football in 2016 and he's creeping closer to Jameis Winston in our dynasty rankings. Tyrod Taylor or T-Mobile as I like to call him it was a nickname that was floated last year and then dissolved but I'm gonna keep it going because this is America and I can say whatever I want so you should be drafting Tyrod Taylor at the end of every draft just get Tyrod Taylor that's it just do it that that's those are your marching orders now on the other end of the spectrum a player whose stock has completely imploded, that's Christian Hackenberg. I saw a great Roto World news blurb today. Quote, unquote, wasted pick Christian Hackenberg implodes in the fourth preseason game. At the surprise of exactly no one. And this is what boggles my mind. We have dynasty rankings on playerprofiler.com. And two quarterbacks that were in our top five dynasty quarterbacks to start the year in April. Dak Prescott, Cody Kessler. But Cody Kessler was a third-round pick. Dak Prescott was a fourth-round pick. Why wasn't Christian Hackenberg ranked ahead of those guys? Christian Hackenberg was a second-round pick. We lament this all the time on the show. This idea that NFL scouts are the ultimate arbiters of who's good and who's bad. It's a fallacy. Draft capital matters. There are thousands and thousands and thousands of man-hours evaluating NFL talent that gets baked into every draft pick. So of course it matters. Of course it's actionable. Of course it's predictive. Of course it's something you want to plug into every player evaluation metric that you have. We have a new metric on playerprofiler.com called quality score. 
Go to playerprofiler.com forward slash data dash analysis and you can query all players based on quality score. We took all the predictive metrics we could find on players, determined how predictive those metrics are, and then rolled them up into a single overarching metric on every player. It's called quality score. There's a lot of intellectual firepower powering this quality score. And if you're looking to simply judge players intrinsically, it's a game changer. So go to playerprofiler.com, hit the data analysis feature, and you can start querying and sorting players based on quality score. And of course, Cody Kessler and Dak Prescott are going to have higher quality scores than Christian Hackenberg, regardless of when they were drafted. Because we're not only factoring in their draft slot, but you see this so often. If a player's drafted in the fourth or fifth round, he's disregarded. But it's assumed if a player was drafted in the first round or the second round, he's eventually going to become fantasy relevant. How many fantasy analysts were continuing to tout Nelson Aguilar last year based on the fact that he was a first round pick only, even though we came on and told you the Nelson Aguilar first round pick was the biggest reach we've seen in the first round in years. He had no business being drafted in the first round. But the analysis of prospects in the fantasy football community is so shallow. Someone like Tajay Sharp has to be a star in every single practice and every single preseason game to finally change people's minds, even though, according to our metrics, he was one of the most precocious wide receivers in this class, some of the best age-adjusted production we've seen. That's why going back all the way to the NFL draft, we had Tajay Sharp and Sterling Shepard very close in our rankings, and now we have Tajay Sharp ahead of Sterling Shepard in our rankings. But the idea that you would have a fifth-round pick and a second-round pick so close... How is that possible? Well, because Sterling Shepard's prospect profile is underwhelming. Tajay Sharp's prospect profile was overwhelming. The NFL's scouting industrial complex got it wrong. And that's why we're here. That's why we do a show so that we can tell you when the NFL's scouting industrial complex whiffed on a player like Nelson Aguilar or Tajay Sharp. And you can be out ahead of the experts who are only looking at draft capital. This is going to happen over and over and over again during this season. You're going to see a first, second, or third round pick touted because opportunity has opened up ahead of him on the depth chart with no regard for that player's talent profile. I call these analysts talent agnostic. All they do is run around chasing opportunity like a dog chasing its tail. And you don't even remember all the times they told you to take a flyer on a player who wasn't capable of being a productive player at the NFL level, much less fantasy viable. And Christian Hackenberg versus Cody Kessler and Dak Prescott perfectly illustrates this inefficiency in football analysis. To continue analyzing rookie quarterbacks, look at Paxton Lynch. Paxton Lynch has looked the best of all the quarterbacks in preseason. Why? Well, isn't that obvious? He's 6'7", incredibly athletic, posted one of the best touchdown-to-interception ratios we've seen in years at Memphis last season. 77.4 college QBR was above the 60th percentile. 8.5 yards per attempt last season. A tremendous goatee that doesn't have the side whiskers. So he looks like the main character for V for Vendetta. He should be playing football in one of those very wide-brimmed hats. He's a badass. Throws the ball 59 miles an hour. That's 90th percentile. So he has tremendous size-adjusted burst and agility, an incredible throwing arm, and he made excellent decisions with the football last year at Memphis. 
four interceptions, 28 touchdowns. Wow. I believe that Paxton Lynch will become the starter for the Broncos by week four or five. And that the Broncos will deploy him much the way the Steelers deployed Ben Roethlisberger in 2004. They have one of the league's best defenses in Denver, just like the Steelers had one of the best defenses in 2004. All they need is for their rookie quarterback to sit back, throw it to one of the best wide receiver tandems in the league, an ascending uber-athletic tight end in Virgil Green, and not make boneheaded mistakes. That's all he needs to do. That's all the Steelers asked of Ben Roethlisberger in 2004, and he delivered, and I think Paxton Lynch will deliver. I think the Broncos are going to the playoffs with a rookie quarterback, and the Philadelphia Eagles are looking more and more and more like the worst team in football. That's the team that traded a king's ransom to get to the second slot in the draft to take Carson Wentz, a player whose prospect profile was measurably worse across the advanced metrics that we use at playerprofiler.com than Paxton Lynch. Yet the Broncos were able to select Paxton Lynch with the 26th pick. We learn this lesson every year. Do not trade a treasure trove of draft picks to move up in the draft for anyone. Because even when you think you're getting that can't-miss quarterback, you're not. If Jameis Winston or Cam Newton or Andrew Luck is on the board, you're not going to be able to trade up for those quarterbacks. The only years you can trade up is when the quarterbacks have significant flaws like Carson Wentz. So it's not worth it. Just take the best available quarterback at your draft slot. Don't overthink it. That player was Paxton Lynch. One of the reasons why John Elway has been a successful GM is because he doesn't overthink it. He's not an intellectual. That's the reason why Danny Ainge has been successful for the Boston Celtics. These are jocks. They're not quants. They're not overthinking these decisions. The Eagles' Howie Roseman is a quant who is now on tilt overthinking all of his personnel decisions. And he's not going to be with the Eagles much longer. John Elway is going to be with the Denver Broncos as long as he wants to work. Danny Ainge is going to be with the Boston Celtics for as long as he wants to work. But every year, come draft time, feels like Groundhog Day for me. As you see teams make the same mistakes their predecessors made years before. And fantasy analysts tout players like Nelson Aguilar and Cody Latimer based on draft capital alone without ever visiting their player page on playerprofiler.com and then they would see, oh, this player was never a dominant player at the college level, so it's very improbable that he's going to become a fantasy viable asset at the NFL level. And that's what we do on this show. We identify the players that are going to be fantasy viable that are drafted in rounds three, four, five, six, seven, and sometimes go undrafted. Now there's a handful of running backs I want to talk about, and we're going to kick it off with an FF draft prep buzzard message. You know the metrics. You know the players you want. What you need is a draft day command center, and a super intuitive, customizable draft command center exists. It's FF draft prep. So you pick the data points you want to display, and it even helps you anticipate the picks of the owners around you while being constantly aware of the best available players at every position. FF Draft Prep changes the game. Use the promo code DIEHARDS to receive 20% off and arm yourself with the tools you need to make fast, intelligent decisions while on the clock. No more panic picks. No more bad drafts with the FF Draft Prep experience. The buzzard writes in, Should I be drafting Chris Ivory and TJ Yeldon and lock up 
an inexpensive, productive running back duo? Is that the same as drafting wide receiver pairings as you recommended on the last show with Golden Tate and Marvin Jones? There's an article on playerprofiler.com written yesterday by Mike Randall. It's titled Chris Ivory and TJ Yeldon and the value of team backfield drafting. One of the better articles written on the site thus far, but I do struggle with the backfield drafting approach. I don't do it. The reason why I don't do it is because I am solely focused on running backs that catch passes or are transcendent talents. And it's very, very rare that you can find two players like that in the same backfield in the zero RB ADP range. Round seven through 12 is where I draft all my running backs. That's where I'm drafting TJ Yeldon because TJ Yeldon is a big back who runs great routes and has great hands and he's elusive in space. I mean, he checks all those boxes. He has standalone PPR value even with Chris Ivory playing. And if Chris Ivory goes out, TJ Yeldon becomes a top 12 running back instantly. TJ Yeldon is what a perfect zero RB running back looks like, but Chris Ivory to me does not. I'm not going to draft the between the tackles pounder unless his name is Tevin Coleman and he has something close to a Todd Gurley level ceiling. Short of a Tevin Coleman, I'm not drafting running backs that aren't terrific in space and aren't slick receivers. It's not going to happen. So I'm much more likely to draft a wide receiver duo. T.Y. Hilton in round three, Dante Moncrief in round four, Golden Tate in round four, Marvin Jones in round five, something like that because those receivers both have standalone value receiving the majority of the targets in high volume offenses and they become pseudo handcuffs of the other because each would be elevated if the teammate goes down with injury. Now another running back that's constantly in the news is Ezekiel Elliott. Another member of the Roto Underworld audience wrote in with a prediction that Ezekiel Elliott will be suspended in the next 365 days, next calendar year. And it's hard for me to dispute that. If we were gambling, I wouldn't take that bet because I would also be betting that Ezekiel Elliott is suspended. Why? Because Google Ezekiel Elliott's name and what do you see? Traffic accident while driving with a suspended license. Domestic abuse accusation. Reporting to training camp out of shape. Caught by TMZ at a weed store in Seattle. Three of those news blurbs were just in the last couple months. Ezekiel Elliott is a Dwayne. We've talked on the show about Waynes and Dwaynes. Are you like Reggie Wayne? Obsessive compulsive about your craft? Your life revolves around football? Or are you like Dwayne Bowe? where football is just a job and you're more concerned with having a good time away from football. In Dynasty Leagues in particular, we want to stock our rosters with Waynes, Reggie Waynes, and stay away from the Dwaynes, the Dwayne Bows. Ezekiel Elliott is a Dwayne. He does not have the off-the-field profile of a player who plays out to age 30. He has a Le'Veon Bell profile, meaning the probability is high that he's going to be suspended in the years ahead. If you look at the Ezekiel Elliott news blurb history on Roto World, it becomes the most obvious thing, does it not? So if I could go back and change my Dynasty Rookie ranks, I would put Corey Coleman now ahead of Ezekiel Elliott in Dynasty Rookie drafts. Almost every Dynasty Rookie draft is over, I get it. But if my Dynasty Rookie draft were happening tomorrow and I had the first overall pick, I would now use that pick on Corey Coleman, not Ezekiel Elliott. The Dwayne risk is just too high. Now... Under receivers. The most impactful news to hit receivers were the loss of quarterbacks. Tony Romo, Teddy Bridgewater, most recently. 
I'm going to read a portion of this Teddy Bridgewater letter because we've been touting Teddy Bridgewater on this show. And the reason why is because going back through time, Teddy Bridgewater's always been an exceptional quarterback. Going back to his time at Louisville, he was the it quarterback prospect and posted an 83.986th percentile college QBR and a 9.3 college yards per attempt and an 18.897th percentile breakout age. His best comparable player on playerprofiler.com is Aaron Rodgers. Teddy Bridgewater was a phenomenal quarterback prospect, could still be argued that he's the best quarterback in his draft class, even though Blake Bortles is in that class. I'm not convinced that if both players had Allen Hearns and Allen Robinson and a bad defense, Teddy Bridgewater wouldn't have been a better NFL quarterback in 2015. And part of the reason why I remain hopeful for Teddy Bridgewater's long-term fantasy potential, why I'm acquiring him in all Dynasty Leagues at this moment, is because his letter reads as follows, There are great players and great leaders in our locker room who are going to fight on to the end until we reach our goals for 2016 with or without me. I will be there mentally, physically, and in spirit to support them accomplish these goals in order to have a testimony. You have to have a test. I come from amazing DNA. Just a great phrase. I come from amazing DNA. I watched my mom fight and win against breast cancer. We will, as a team, attack my rehab with the same vigor and energy. My faith is strong. My faith is unwavering and my vision is clear. My purpose will not be denied. End of letter. Most letters released by athletes, public statements released by athletes following an injury or some traumatic event are written by public relations personnel. Teddy Bridgewater wrote this on a piece of paper and handed it to the team's press director. That's how Teddy Bridgewater does it. Teddy Bridgewater is a Wayne. Teddy Bridgewater is the ultimate Wayne among quarterbacks. He wants to be great, and he's already shown at the college level that he can be great, and I am not going to doubt his potential greatness just because he tore his ACL, and ACL tears have become essentially outpatient procedures for professional athletes. So I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to be back next year. He'll be 100%. And I am going to be drafting Teddy Bridgewater in Dynasty Startups and potentially in redraft leagues if I think his situation improves in Minnesota, specifically if the defense takes a step back and there's volume to be had in Minnesota, I think Teddy Bridgewater is going to be an attractive fantasy option in the years ahead. But that's how you want your players to conduct themselves, particularly in a Dynasty context. You want to stock your team with players with long-term value that are maniacally obsessed with their craft. That's what Teddy Bridgewater is. That's not what Ezekiel Elliott is. And when Teddy Bridgewater went down, fantasy gamers' first thought was, (gasps) how's that going to impact Stephon Diggs? And it's not. Minnesota already has a low-volume offense, so inserting Sean Hill into the equation isn't going to change much. They were throwing for 200 yards a game last season, so you weren't expecting Stephon Diggs to ride this volume wave to fantasy viability this year. That wasn't the expectation anyway. Stephon Diggs wins with great efficiency, and I think whether it's Teddy Bridgewater or Sean Hill, that's how he wins on the football field. That's how he's going to help you win fantasy matchups this year, and we haven't changed the Stephon Diggs ranking in either redraft or dynasty. If Dante Moncrief lost Andrew Luck, yes, yes, his redraft value would collapse. 
But that's not what's happening in Minnesota. But Indianapolis is not Minnesota. They're polar opposite situations. The wide receiver that collapsed the most this weekend post-quarterback injury was Terrence Williams because in Dallas... Dak Prescott is a major downgrade from Tony Romo. I know Dak Prescott impressed in preseason, but he's a rookie on a run-first offense. It's very difficult for the number two receiver to be fantasy viable in that scenario. That's why I'm not excited about Doyle Green Beckham in Philadelphia. Even if you have a 99th percentile height-adjusted speed score, if you're the number two receiver with either Sam Bradford, or Carson Wentz throwing you the ball, it's going to be very difficult for you to be usable in fantasy football. Terrence Williams went from being a boom-bust, ideal best ball-wide receiver to being someone I have no interest in. So his ranking fell the most on the playerprofiler.com redraft rankings. Go there, check them out. Playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings. To stay in Minnesota, I have a question. Charles Johnson's still the number two receiver there. If I could project more volume in Minnesota, I'd think that Charles Johnson would be very interesting. But Stephon Diggs is locked in as the number one option in that passing game, and I don't think that's going to change. So I'm not as enthusiastic about Charles Johnson this year as I was last year, but I think he will have usable weeks. The player that's not going to have usable weeks this year is Laquan Treadwell. Laquan Treadwell continues to underwhelm in the preseason. The only time anyone's tweeting about Laquan Treadwell is when he's dropping passes in preseason games. So my question is, when are the legions of draft Nick zombies who rank Treadwell number one going to speak up? Going to raise their hand and say, sorry guys, sorry, whoops, my bad. We'll get him next time. Uh, uh, well, uh, gotta start, oh, college football season started. Oh, gotta go watch some tape. Oh, never mind my Laquan Treadwell ranking from last year. Moving on. Maddening. Ranking Treadwell ahead of Tyler Boyd. Ranking Treadwell ahead of Tajay Sharp, ahead of Corey Coleman, ahead of Michael Thomas. Now, I didn't rank Tajay Sharp ahead of Laquan Treadwell either, so I'm guilty there. But we talked about Laquan Treadwell on a constant loop on this show because I believed he was the most overrated prospect in the 2016 draft class. His college dominator rating on playerprofiler.com below the 50th percentile. His spark score below the 30th percentile. He's a big receiver who once upon a time was a five-star recruit. Okay, Keith Marshall was a big running back who once upon a time was a five-star recruit, and he's already washed out of the league. So I don't get it. So from the beginning with Laquan Treadwell, I've never understood how you could post him up as the number one receiver on your board and never move it after players from Tyler Boyd to Corey Coleman to Will Fuller dramatically outproduced Laquan Treadwell in terms of percentage of team yards and percentage of team touchdowns in 2015. Then players like Josh Doxson and Will Fuller blazed at the combine, crushed the jump and agility drills at the combine. Meanwhile, Laquan Treadwell always checking in below the 50th percentile in every measure we have of athleticism on playerprofiler.com, and yet it didn't matter. The Laquan Treadwell ranking on so many draftnik boards was completely inelastic, recalcitrant with their Laquan Treadwell ranking. So when you see that, my question is, why would you ever go back to that analyst's rookie rankings ever again? You shouldn't. But now spinning it forward into week one, a number one wide receiver, a receiver with a tremendous talent profile, will likely command a significant target share and has an attractive matchup in week one, and no one's talking about him. And that's Jordan Matthews. 
Jordan Matthews looks like the best value in daily fantasy for week one. And I've done very little analysis of the week one prices. We're going to be rolling out the playerprofiler.com weekly rankings and lineup optimizer in a few days. But even without really digging in, a casual review of the prices and the matchups, whoa, Jordan Matthews looks like a must own. I'm interested to see the ownership percentages once they come out a week from now. And I'll be praying that Jordan Matthews has a low ownership rate because the case for Jordan Matthews in week one isn't even hard. It's very straightforward. And I think his knee injury is going to cloud the Jordan Matthews projection and uncertainty, which will provide a buying opportunity across all leagues. Daily fantasy, redraft, trade for Jordan Matthews now before he erupts in week one with 10 catches, 110 yards and a touchdown. Get Jordan Matthews on your dynasty squads. When I think about dynasty leagues, at first I thought they're going to be very challenging. These are very serious football people. To pay attention to football 365 days a year, 366 days on leap year, these must be serious, smart football people. Dynasty leagues must be an incredible challenge to win. They're not. Dynasty leagues are much easier to win than redraft leagues. And there's one reason. The mentality of the average Dynasty League enthusiast is one that's not built around winning. It's amazing. These are collectors. People that collect in our society are not the wealthy. Go to a wealthy person's home. What you will see is very little clutter. They might have a collection of paintings on the wall that are incredibly expensive, but they also have great resale value, and they're not cluttering their home in any way. The hoarders, the collectors are more interested in accumulating volumes of things. They're not interested in, they're not trying to constantly chase a return on investment. Otherwise, they would sell their stuff until they have very low inventory and they would end up starting a business. But they don't start a business. They just collect and collect and collect and collect. We have a whole business superstructure called junk removal in America to cater to these people. Do you think the people in the Forbes top 100 most wealthy have to call the junk removal guy? No, they don't. They're not wired in a way to collect junk. The people in dynasty leagues are junk collectors. There's this weird collector mentality in dynasty leagues that often supersedes the drive to win. They're more interested in collecting 50 Coca-Cola coolers in the hopes that one will become that rare showpiece 20 years from now after they're dead. That's where their priorities are. Those are the people drafting Laquan Treadwell. Those that are interested in profiting constantly from dynasty leagues, they're the ones that are out there chasing down other owners to get Jordan Matthews. Always looking forward one week, a year, to see who is going to outperform their current price. There are few true businessmen in the dynasty world. They're mostly collectors. And when the businessman comes in, it becomes very easy to build a super squad of current producers by selling off unproven youth, trading two 2017 second rounders and Braxton Miller, who has one year of football on his resume for Jordan Matthews. I mean, that trade represents the essence of dynasty leagues and why they're so exploitable for those that are looking to win now and constantly enhance the resale value of their assets. And now we talk about tight ends. 
We had a buzzard on our YouTube channel right in. Go to YouTube, type in Roto Underworld Radio, and you can see all our highlights. If someone's new to the show, point them to YouTube, and they can quickly get up to speed with the things we've been talking about on the show and determine whether or not it's the show for them. Do you get the show, yes or no? Well, go to YouTube and find out. Our first YouTube buzzard read on the air. What are your thoughts on Jared Cook? My thoughts on Jared Cook are he's an incredible athlete and he's a terrible blocker. And because he's a terrible blocker, he's never logged a high snap share going all the way back to his time at South Carolina. And if you don't log a high snap share, you're not on the field in a number of high leverage situations, particularly in the red zone. That's when tight ends score their points. Jared Cook's touchdowns throughout his career have been scored on 20, 30, 40, 50 yard passes. Those are very rare, even from Aaron Rodgers. They're not that common. Going back 10 years, he's never been a tight end one in fantasy. Why would he start now? Just because he received a quarterback upgrade? So what? He's not going to be on the field enough to be someone I feel comfortable using at the tight end position. I'd much rather play Virgil Green or Vance McDonald, someone I know is going to be on the field in all game situations and command a significant target share particularly in the red zone. That's what I want from my tight ends. Jared Cook simply doesn't offer that. And it's not just that Jared Cook has never been an every down player. When he's in the game, he's not efficient. One of the lowest catch rates by qualified tight ends. There's nothing on the Jared Cook profile that interests me. Coming out of college, he was an interesting athlete. Could he translate his athleticism into on-field production? I left open the possibility seven years ago, but seven years have passed and we now know what Jared Cook is. He's not a good football player and I'll never own him on any team. I'd rather own Will Ty, even though Will Ty played in the fourth quarter of the fourth preseason game and I'm reading on Twitter, that is a death sentence. Even though Tom Brady played a full half of a fourth preseason game. Never mind. Tom Brady's great. He's an immortal vampire, the best quarterback ever, even though he's playing in the fourth preseason game. Will Ty playing in the fourth preseason game because he's a second year player and he needs as many practice reps as possible. That's a major red flag. Will Ty is a stay away. Wrong. Same thing with Javorius Allen. (gasps) Buck Allen played in the fourth preseason game. That means he's on the roster bubble. Don't draft Javorius Allen. Even though Tom Brady also played in the fourth preseason game. (laughs) The overreaction to who is playing in the fourth preseason game. So let me get this straight. We're focusing on who's playing in the fourth preseason game versus who's not. But we don't care about the fact that Jared Cook has never been productive. And we don't care that Laquan Treadwell posted a college dominator below the 50th percentile in his final year at Mississippi. Okay. Okay. Thanks. Thanks for that. I'm glad we're focusing on the right details with our fantasy football analysis. (laughs) Austin Safarian Jenkins also played in the fourth preseason game. (gasps) No! No! Time to drop one of the best tight end prospects of this decade, the 23-year-old Austin Safarian Jenkins. Yeah, he played in the fourth preseason game. That means he's worthless. Drop him in redraft. Just throw him into a dynasty trade. Just get rid of him. It's not going to happen for Austin Safarian Jenkins because not only did he play in the fourth preseason game, he also took his helmet off on his way off the field and raised his voice to a coach. He was seen yelling on the sidelines. No. You can't yell on the sidelines. 
If you want to be a future Hall of Famer, like Des Bryant, or Steve Smith, or Philip Rivers, you don't yell on the sideline. That's not a... I mean, it's not a... Hmm. Yeah. Hmm. So I shouldn't drop or trade Austin Safarian Jenkins just because he played in the fourth preseason game, a la Tom Brady. <laughs> I mean, what are we talking about? But I think it's clear that Tampa Bay is not managing Austin Safarian Jenkins well. I think we can agree on that. I think they could do a better job in Tampa Bay inspiring Austin Safarian Jenkins to reach new heights, to become a better football player. They're not doing a great job. I think we can agree on that. And if Tampa Bay has soured on Austin Safarian Jenkins, wouldn't it just be so perfect if the New England Patriots called Tampa and offered them a player they were going to cut anyway for Austin Safarian Jenkins? Reminds me of the Logan Mankins trade. I understand Timothy Wright didn't work out for the Patriots, but they were going to cut Logan Mankins anyway. It would be the most Patriots and the most Buccaneers thing if the Patriots acquired Austin Safarian Jenkins a week before the season started for nothing, fleecing Tampa Bay, and then implementing the first three tight end offense, beating people with three tight ends, handing the ball off to Blunt with essentially eight 260-pound-plus blockers in front of him, and then challenging every secondary to stop Martellus Bennett, Rob Gronkowski, and Austin Safarian Jenkins, all running crossing routes, picking off every defender in their path. That would just be so Patriots, and it would be so Buccaneers. Trading Austin Safarian Jenkins at the moment he's about to ascend to NFL superstardom would just be so bucks.